Thank you for tuning in to Tactile, a practical guide to transforming art and culture. This is the podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, Lane, a program of the National Performance Network. Lane supports arts organizations of color and rural organizations with time and resources needed to grow their infrastructure in ways that are culturally authentic and moves the field towards justice. I'm your host, Sage Crump, Program Specialist for Lane. And welcome to this episode of Tactile. This is season two, episode one. We're excited to be back uh, with everyone and sharing the lessons that we are learning through leveraging a network for equity, an initiative of the National Performance Network. So we're really excited uh, today because we are talking with Jackie Clay and Audre Tigner of the Coleman Center for the Arts in York, Alabama. They are part of our beta cohort, uh, have come on, and we are really excited they're taking this journey with us. And I think there's a lot to learn about um, what does change mean inside organizations um, in the Coleman specifically as an organization um, based in the South and rural South um, are, is a wonderful place for us to begin to dig in and, and think about when we are beginning to make shifts inside our organizations, when we are beginning to think about the field differently, how do we support and build from the needs of organizations like the Coleman and the journey that they've had? So before we move into some of the content, some of the exciting things that we want to talk about, um, first, if you all want to introduce yourselves, Jackie and Audra. Uh, my name is Jackie Clay. I'm the executive director at the Coleman Center. I've been there um, three years and a few months. Uh, I'm from the great state of Alabama and uh, happy to be at, uh, you know, working in the arts and in rural arts specifically at the Coleman Center. My name is Audra Tigner. I am the operations director at the Coleman Center. I've been working there since um, November 2019. I um, just moved from Louisville, Kentucky about two years ago, and I absolutely love the state so far. Um, And I continue to love this job and love the people that we work with. Wonderful. So great to have you all. I'm so excited you're taking time for this conversation from uh, the work that you are doing. Um, one of the things that we always start out with before we get specifically into your organizational work is we have a question we start each podcast out with, and that is, how do you believe change happens? Um, isn't there an Octavia Butler quote, like everything you touch is change, everything, you know, everything I don't know. Everything you touch, you change, everything yeah. you change changes you. Yeah. The constant is change. Yeah. Um, I think that like change is inevitable, but like positive change requires collaboration and um, um, intention and selflessness. And, you know, so things can change for the worse. <laughs> um, but also when we work together, we, we affect positive change. I think that change happens when people get outside of the idea that everything's been the same or everything's been this way. And so when you grasp that idea of, you know, saying, I don't want it to stay stay the same way or stay the way it is, then, you know, growing from that is when change happens. Hmm. I I love the the bookends of both of your 
responses it shows you all as a team in some fun ways because I, I think this idea of like change requiring like a collective connection that is also prompted by your individual recognition that something needs to be different that you're yearning for something to be different but in order for that to be different it requires a collaboration as you were saying uh, uh jackie that uh, a connection and so how does that in in the idea of um change um being constant what does it mean about how we are thinking about ourselves and um our relationship to each other and what we're building right like it, it makes me think about um well, Grace Lee Boggs says to transform, transform the, transform yourself to transform the world, uh, and uh, really appreciate and bring it in Octavia Butler. Hey, <laughs> always, always important when we're thinking about the world we currently live in. <laughs> um, so one of the things, uh, let's sort of dive into your experience with Lane because I, uh, you know, Jackie, you pretty much walked into the Coleman Center and Lane simultaneously. That was a was the application the first thing you did when you, you got to the Coleman? That is, well, it's probably not literally the first thing, but I would say um, if I started in January, mid-March, we were um, submitting our application. And um, I'm, a, I'm a curator that was interested in this organization and interested in this role to like curate at the organization. So I, I didn't necessarily have experience with like, high level organizational strategy. And I didn't come into the role assuming I'd be like thinking through the institution in that way. So um, it was like right on time and a blessing to have Lane and to have this like network, you know, of peers and then also consultancy that like <laughs> supported me making that shift, you know? Um, yeah, it was, it was very, simultaneous in some ways yes nice i love the way you're like yes it was simultaneous I'm, i i imagine it was a few other things too <laughs> uh, <laughs> all, all the welcome all at the same time um yeah, yeah. um Audrey, when you were when you joined the coleman um had you heard about lane before that and, and what was your what was your uh kind of experience kind of coming into it I had not actually, I had not been a part of um, or arts organizations beforehand, um, but I started mid-November and then, you know, Lane was early December, the Lane meeting. And um, it was incredible <laughs> coming into like this group that really just wanted to support each other. And that was just huge. And, you know, I hadn't been at the pro part of the process beforehand. Um, but coming in and then just, you know, everybody just welcoming with hugs and, you know, like being able to talk through the organizational strategies and working through, you know, saying, hey, I'm at a loss for this. Can you help me? And there are 15 people that are like, oh, I've been through the same thing. And, you know, having those table discussions and those round, you know, kind of round robin type of thing um, really helped to say, hey, this is going to be different, but it's going to work. So it was cool. Going to work and is working in so many ways. Um I appreciate the way you both sort of started like, oh, that Lane became a, a, a real learning community because mm -hmm. that that's always our hope. Um, so that's your experience in Lane. I would love to hear a little bit more about the context uh, uh, in which you're working. What, what do you feel like people should know about um, the Coleman Center for the Arts and 
where it is and how you all are, are navigating the conditions, right? Like, and the Coleman Center for the Arts is a 35-year-old arts organization in um, Sumter County, Alabama. Um, at the last census, there was, which you know would be 10 years ago, there was 13,000 people in the entire county. Um, about 70% of our population is Black, Black folks. And um, the, the organization was established uh, under the city as like a municipal um, program. And it was started by a group of artists, local artists who um, mainly exhibited their own work, exhibited and sold their own work, but they also did a like workshops. I think the idea of um, the Coleman Center being a site of like racial reconciliation within the community was also a driving force. You know, I had heard that. And then since Audra's been here, we got a uh, filing cabinet unlock and <laughs> it's been really interesting to like go through those materials and see like they had a, a grant application from the NEA in the 80s and even then they were kind of using language around like I would say more diversity versus equity but you know uh, just like individuals organizations go through these fa phases and growth so oh, it's pretty interesting to, to discover um, that there's a legacy of this sort of body of work and thinking about um, the ways in which um, having a, a contemporary art center, and that's how I describe it. Is that an accurate description? You know, this part of the state, a lot of people call it the Black Belt, and um, it is, um, it wasn't really that populated by European settlers until 1830, until the Indian Removal Act. And so planners from the Carolinas and Virginia came down uh, with, you know, enslaved Africans. And, and so it's a very black, uh, you know, the whole region of the Black Belt is very black, but then there is, has been kind of a lot of power and land held by a relatively small white minority. Um, and that's mm -hmm. worth noting because <laughs> that was who established the organization, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and also it marked pretty rapid change, you know, in the 19th century, really rapid change on the, on the landscape that we still kind of see the effects of. I would imagine that you still, when you say still see the effects of that in terms of the work and the decisions you as a curator, the Coleman as an organization. And, and then like physically, you know, I think there, so physically and also who, who is there, why they're there, what they've had access to generationally. Um, those, those things are still very present. How do those play out in, in the ways that you all work? How do you, what are the things that you all are having to navigate because of that history? Well, there's some baseline things like all of our programs are free. And um, that's something that my predecessor established and I'm really committed to because we don't want to bar anyone's participation. Um, also, I'm really working toward it being like, we are committed to it being secular social space. And um, what does that mean? Well, um, so there's a few things also, it, it, it's hard. I didn't appreciate this until I lived here. You know, I'm from the state, but this part of the state is distinct from, you know, Birmingham. <laughs> so, okay. so, you know, the resources are different, your access to resources, um, public and private space is much different. 
and um, the ch the church is very strong, and then the family is what is, has been described to me. The family and and couples are very atomized, so there's not a lot of like. You know, if, if you live in a city and you take public transit, you're kind of forced into other folks' space all the time. You're forced into sharing things. I think that there's some ideas around scale that you get a sense of, whereas here, um, pe people, the, there are networks, but it, but one per someone entering into that space and plugging themselves into an, a network, it's a different practice, if that makes sense. A lot of people equate the Black Belt with the Bible Belt as well. And so we are one of the few organizations in the city of York that um, has and can have that secular space, secular social space. So it's really good to have that. It sounds like it, it, the York is one of the few places where people will... Uh, interact intersect like cross each other's paths um by engagement with what you all may be offering uh, that doesn't happen in in a random sort of moving throughout their lives way well you know there's not a lot of retail there's not a lot of restaurants so there isn't a ton of opportunity and some of those things are cost prohibitive like i you know I'm, I'm, yeah. Yes. So all those things. Art. <laughs> art. Art and, and the legacy of art and, and also the nuance that you're offering, right? Like sometimes folks talk about the South, mm -hmm. but you're making a very dis clear distinction, not even just into the South or Alabama, but the distinction between a place like Birmingham or a place like New York and, and what that means about the different types of organizational strategies that um, might be necessary Um to support the work that you do. Cause I think there's the, there are often ideas that float around the field that until we make them contextual, until we actually make them specific to a place, like always sound great. Like, oh, well, people will feel better, you know, um, if dot, dot, dot happens. But I think that uh, that only makes sense depending upon the place and the space and what folks have access to. So I appreciate you thinking really clearly about strategies like all our programming is free, that that is really important as a way to ensure access for different folks, but also takes into account the history of the place and the way in which the people move, move through. Yeah. Are there other ways that you think about um, uh, how the Coleman functions or what are the things that uh, are important for you all to be thinking about? that could impact uh, um, what types of resources that uh, support or things that people should be thinking about when they understand the kind of work that you do with the Coleman? I feel like the answer is one, we, we've got like five core programs. Um, our probably best known program is our artist residency. So those are like contemporary artists in practice um, coming down and doing work that is public in nature. Sometimes that's like, you know, what some folks would call like, art that is rooted in social practice, but then sometimes it's things like um, thematically the work is, will resonate with our, our community. We're also like kind of, I'm in my tenure trying to focus on artists from the state of Alabama working outside the state. So, um, cause we don't really have an excess of artist residencies in the state. We also have exhibitions. Um, we share a building with the public library. So 
you know, folks that come to the library have access to that exhibition. And um, right now the show that's up is called Memorial Meditations. It's with an artist named Tony Bingham that's from Birmingham. Uh, we have a community garden. Uh, Audra mentioned earlier, our, our uh, community gardener, Catherine Shelton, probably one of our, um, she's been with the Coleman Center the longest. Uh, and um, it's a completely free, ungated garden. We, get, we do giveaways uh, of our larger crops, things like that. Uh, we have an education program, and then we also have a downtown space called Popstart. Uh, so, you know, with that kind of diversity of programs, we're really trying to meet different, different needs um, with like creative practice at its center. Um, wow, that's amazing. Um, and what I also am, am, am amazed at, and it's not new for me, but maybe new for, for folks listening for the first time, is the plethora of space that you all have. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit about uh, um, what I what I've heard you say is like space rich, but that's not always the, yeah, the easiest thing I, to navigate. I, yeah, well, uh, land rich is the land phrase rich. that yeah. Yeah, I think Audra Audra probably has some real uh, perspectives on our buildings. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, so we have seven buildings in total. Um, most places maybe have, you know, administration building and then, you know, a gallery or whatnot. But we also have our residency space. Um, and then we do have Popstart, which is available to, you know, rent or um, hold meetings, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but we we do, we are in, we are very, very land rich, um, <laughs> comparative. Um, but we, you know, kind of host most of the downtown, uh, <laughs> you know, in those areas. Um where we have the gallery space is also a public library, like Jackie said. Um, so we have our gallery space, the public library, and then also kind of like an educational area in the back of that as well, so that it is free and open to um, the public during those hours that they're open. I, I think of those buildings too as like our commitment to our community mm. um, because the way, mm. because the geography, the way our economy is structured, all these things, um, a lot of people haven't had and currently don't have access to resources that would allow them to invest in a building or seven buildings, you know? So our, Audra and I, and then our board, our commitment to like making change in those buildings, you know, our committed commitment to caring for those buildings is also, I see as like a, an extension of our, our promise to our community. Oh, I think that's a really important thing to to highlight. Like it's a, there's the the programs, there are the exhibitions, there's all of that, and also what's what sounds really resonant and really specific um, that you're highlighting, Jackie, is like the the physical land and the um, intention to hold on to it, to use it, to make it accessible to folks in the community is also a part of what it means to be um, a, a center, a, a center, right? Inside a community of this size. Um, that's a beautiful commitment that you have to, 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 the city of, to the city of York. Do you talk about it as the city of York or the county or? City of York mainly. The city of York, okay. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Um, one of the other things I'm noticing in, as I'm listening uh, to you all is um, that there, 
um, that you're really highlighting things that are very unique to the South and very unique and specific to York. So this um, history of what it means to be in the Bible Belt and the Black Belt, there is the relationship to land and the both ability and responsibility of what it means to have uh, access and own land. There is the, um, the ways in which folks are moving through time and space and living their lives and thinking about that and taking that into account. Um, the commitment to artists who oftentimes may not have the type of support where they live um, for the work that they do, like all of these things that you all are highlighting really are beginning to paint this picture of a very unique place. Are there other things that I haven't named um, in that, that you want to like uh, make sure folks understand about the Coleman, about you all's vision for this place uh, and the work that happens there? Um, I feel, and we heard Audra saying this earlier, but I feel very committed to my staff and to one another. And um, <laughs> some of the personal feedback I've gotten like preceding this job is that I um, can be a little guarded. And um, the challenge that I, f I feel like is ch changing and reshaping me is like with this small group of people, you really have to be fully present and you have to make yourself really available. I think they're very great about um, telling me I need to get a life. <laughs> that my life isn't just their ED, you know? Um, I'd say those those staff folks also, like um, Mr. Skeeter or Catherine or Walter, who have you know, been with, with the organization for a long time and with the previous leadership also, they, they've just been, they've cared for us so much, you know? And um, it feels really great. That's an amazing segue, because I think you, you, you must have been reading my mind, Jackie, you're reading my <laughs> mind. Because I was like, okay, so I realized all the things we sort of named to date are a lot about your relationship, meaning you, you personally, you all's work and the Coleman to artists, to the community, to the history in the city. One of the things that, you know, we highlight in Lane and, and talk a lot about is the, what does it take to uh, um, make these types of organizational changes or build the types of infrastructure inside the organizations um, that then impact what programming happens or how we relate externally, right? So you were giving us a very sort of, what is it, hyper, hyper local, like as local as you can get, like these are the things that I have grown in me. And I'm also curious about what are the things that, um, um, has been grown inside the Coleman to get to where you are right now over the last few years? I guess why it was easy for me to talk about staff is because um, part of the Lane process is so, not part, or, Lane is about organizational health that then feeds and extends into our the artists that we serve and our communities we're in and serve. So um, that, that has been kind of the focus of our, of those three years I've been here. Um, and this, this, I'd say since the fall, what we were and and, and with the aid of this like melon application and all these other things, we were staffing up to then kind of professionalize some of the things, clarify and professionalize some of our, organizational stuff but also we'd have more bandwidth for you know 
supporting and working with artists. So, um, which is now getting, you know, COVID is, is a, <laughs> a bit of a <laughs> yeah. wrench in the machinery, but um, I'd say Audra's really taken advantage of, you know, we're, we're still meeting and really we've, we've started meeting and have met more as a full staff since, since February. No, so I don't know if that exactly answered your question. What was what was the question again? <laughs> I, um, the question would be, and, and you got started, I would ask just to, to be, uh, if there are any more specifics around um, what are some of the organizational shifts that have happened okay. that, uh, over the last few years for you? I'd say through the process of Lane, there are ideas about programs and capacity, and capacity that I that I and I'd say people in general kind of share. So if, for example, uh, education and programming, like for, especially for younger folks, uh, like under eighth grade are very popular. Um, they're very impactful, but I do think we had to take a real clear eyed look about um, staff capacity and staff capacity is a fancy way of saying we had one person that was a programmer, Jackie Clay. <laughs> And so maybe, you know, saying like, how do, how do we still, how do we still do this work um, with where we are right now? And, and some of the solutions were things like we've, we started having like workshops that engaged younger, excuse me, young adults, as opposed to very young kids with the idea that we're going to kind of like build local TAs that can maybe feed our programs in the long run. And, and even now, um, one of the programs we're developing with our, pro- our programs person, uh, Carrie, is looking at like, how can we have an internship program so that we um, build in more bandwidth to support that program, you know, versus we have larger staff that maybe right now we don't have the um, organizational capacity to, to support consistently with salaries <laughs> so if that makes sense you know is, is that yeah um, no that 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 makes sense and that's a brilliant example you know so often this idea of infrastructure and and programming um get it's a false dichotomy right? and so this idea that you have thought about this programming in order to grow the internal organizational capacity and the capacity of your community to engage in the arts in a larger way beyond uh, um, just the staff of the Coleman or the artists of the Coleman is a, is a real, um, that's a real gem there. That's a real gem there. Appreciate that, that level of thinking and, and growing. Are there other ways internally? I know, Audra, you've only been there six months, but are there other things that you've seen in the last six months around how the Coleman functions that is really helping um, spur the next iteration and, and that you all are working towards? I think within the past six months, um, within, you know, within the same month of November, um, I was hired on and so was Carrie, the program manager. And I've seen a growth in Jackie kind of letting go some of the reins that she'd been, you know, holding on to because she'd been the only one in the capacity to be able to do so. Mm -hmm. And so kind of freeing her time and her mind and, you know, her, you know, capacity to be able to do other things and like reach out to these artists that I'm so excited to be able to meet and to be able to work with um, and just kind of, you know, 
giving the ability to like grow organization, not just physically, but also mentally and like giving like access to um, how we can individually grow, but also the entire organization. I'd also add that like, there's a lot of expectations from funders or um, the state, you know, the state being like, I'm not talking about the state like of Alabama, but just uh, government, you know, um, around how we need to have policy in place and professionalize kind of professionalize some of our practices. But I've also seen how, you know, these most recent six month changes, how we're really creating organizational uh, policy that is attuned to our context and um, is not um, alienating to our current staff. Um, and um, so that's like another kind of, it's, it's, you know, talking about like human resources policies is like not, it doesn't seem creative or sexy, but it, I think having these like consistent um, warm communications is is like um, it's organizational change that makes me feel uh, supported and excited and connected. You know, no, that, that's so important. What you're sharing in this moment, because there there are the term, even the term professionalization is is contested in a lot of places, right? Like professionalization meaning who gets to decide what is professional, who gets to decide what looks professional professional, what is a professional? Um, and we know that's often coded racial language in a lot of ways, right? And it sounds like what what you all are are doing and have done is like we are this is the standard that we are setting for ourselves based on who we are in the context and in which we work. And that is what it means to be professional for for the Coleman Center, right? And and uh, I think that's really radical. I think it's really radical that you all are building that for yourselves um, and building an organizational culture that um, even talks about ideas like warm communication because there are places where folks don't actually do that. Um, And so um, the fact that that is even in the front of what you all are thinking about feels really resonant about organizational health, right? That is, it's the the policies um, are not devoid of humanity or dignity or context or nuance or equity and justice and uh yeah i'd love to get a peek at those one day because um, i'm sure that's it's a it can create an environment where people feel whole and seen and what does that mean around organizational health when we're we know when we're pushing against um, we're pushing past is health simply defined by uh, economic strata, but health also meaning, do your people have a chance to grow? And, you know, are they able to learn and be their full selves? Are we able to communicate? Because those are the ways, those are the things going back to what you said earlier, Jackie, uh, the first thing you said to us was um, how does change happen? It's collaborative. It's collaborative. And it seems like you've lived that out throughout their process and the work with the Coleman. I would say too, around the professionalization point, what I, I think we're trying to do or what we're doing is, is, is about the root of that is transparency and accountability, you know, as, as core parts of it. Like 
Jackie and Audra as organization, organizational leaders are um, clear about expectations and um, so, and also cl clear, um, making themselves staff and people in general have access to us so that I guess like when I was first here and maybe I was by myself as the leader, um, you know, staff would have to catch me to uh, ask me for something versus now we have these established meeting times and established channels of communication that mean that they don't have to, um, I'm, I'm held accountable. I have to make myself available and um, they have the right to my time, you know, Think, things like that, you know. That, that your staff has a right to your time is a really beautiful, um, you know, uh, uh, breaking away from traditional hierarchy where, like, you know, the ED has the right to everybody's time. <laughs> you have the right to tell them all kinds of things. But um, the way you're framing it around, like your staff has the right to your time uh, as well as part of this, like really reciprocal relationship and a way of being um, is exciting. And I think like coming from kind of corporate, you know, organizational structure, um, coming into this, it has changed everything and how I think about, you know, how we talk about human resources and, you know, how we structure, you know, communication. Um, our staff meetings are a lot of, you know, open and honest, just talking um, and just being there for each other and, you know, how can we fix, you know, X, Y, and Z, but also like, how are you doing? You know, like I was never asked that, you know, as, you know, in a corporate situation. Um, and so how Jackie was talking about how we're, you know, being transparent and communicating as well and as often as possible, um, I think really changes how people view um, our organization. And how do you believe that some of the things you're sharing impacts overall organizational health. I think if you're open and honest and available or, you know, whatever it may be, it um, makes the organization health and individuals feel that um, it's a genuine process. It's not, you know, one, two, three, four. It's, you know, working together as a whole, um, collaborating as we've discussed you know making that organization transparent genuine and a collaborative process we're we're also like sourcing the the like emotional and intellectual power of the larger group so instead of it being like one person's ideas or you know jackie's or two people's ideas audrey and jackie's mm -hmm. it's like six people's ideas it's Carrie and Catherine and Skeeter and Walter, and then even their network of, of community and connection. So, um, you know, you, you do better with, with more brain power. <laughs> you know? Some things are like, yeah, you do better with more brain power. And yet somehow there are all these systems that don't function in that way. So um, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Now I think that like Audra and I are are the bottom line responsible. You know what I mean? Like I I want to also be clear that I don't want to pass on 
the labor that I get paid for onto other folks who maybe aren't interested in that. You know, I, like even with the lane process, we would have these meetings in um, like our, our groundskeeper, our facilities manager. Um, he, he don't want to, he's not interested in some of these high level conversations and he has a right to not be, you know, <laughs> uh, but um but we do like speak openly about challenges so folks feel um, they can impact change, you know? Um, There's one word that keeps coming up as I'm listening to you all. It's nuance. That you're, you're not just like, it's not just a blanket, like everybody come and therefore it's a democracy, like everyone, else, but that you're really very thoughtful about um, all the pieces that, um, and all the people that are a part of what creates the conditions where the where the Coleman Center is, right? Like it's a very, um, yeah, that's the word that keeps coming up. I keep writing it down on my little notepad. I'm like, it's so nuanced, right? Like, and, and I wanna make visible that labor cause that's not, uh, uh, um, that shouldn't be taken for granted. Like the thoughtfulness and the nuance uh, of the work that you all are doing um, and the trust that requires in each other, uh, the respect, all the things that go into that as part of what we think about organizational health. So again, we're, we're in this place where organizational health is not something that um, someone determines, here are the hallmarks of organizational health. And if you meet these benchmarks, therefore your organization is healthy. But that you all, even if you have that, you've taken that, you've said, well, that's a great place to start. That's interesting. And given all these factors of who we are, where we are, who's around, what we need to build, what is the history of this place? Um, this is the right road for us right now. And you've moved in that. Um, which makes me wonder, in the course of the journey that you all are, have had, um, were there things that at one point felt impossible that now feel more possible? I mean, I say before February, there was lots, you know, right now I'm living in the moment of COVID. So I'm like, you know, um, we don't know what's possible. Yeah. Right fresh now. mustard's greens feel impossible to me right now. <laughs> Are you telling me I can't drive up to York right now? <laughs> uh, um, and head up to the garden. <laughs> well, I've been doing um, a, a bit of gardening too. And, and <laughs> uh, Cause we don't want Catherine out there. She's uh, a little higher risk mm -hmm. than me. Um, I guess I, this is just such a woo-woo answer, but I'd say energetically, <laughs> I didn't, it's, it's so nice, the energy that is happening among staff right now. And um, I didn't know I could feel this way in a workspace. Um, mm. And that even precedes the Coleman Center. I, I feel taken care of. You know, and I feel like I look, I feel like I take care of people and it's reciprocated. And um, we haven't had like a lot of visiting artists recently. So like my hope also, and I believe this is possible because of what we're building together, uh, that artists will come here and feel that too. Thank you so much for this time, Jackie and Audra. I feel like caring for yeah. each other and the ability to care for other is a perfect way to wrap up um, messages for the world. Um, so appreciate, again, your time, your brilliance, and uh, 
and, and grateful to be in collaboration with you all over this journey. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Funding support for Lane is provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. You can find more information about Lane and the amazing organizations involved on the NPN website, www.npnweb.org. This episode was co-edited by Amanda Bankston and Monica Tyran. Jazz Franklin is our podcast editor and sound design by Mooty Reed.